Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. All right, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of This Speech Life. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host of This Speech Life, and I am so excited to have Monica Donoso with us today. She is such an amazing inspiration on Instagram. You might know her there. I just appreciate what she brings to our field and to social media, which can sometimes be a crazy place, but Monica's little corner is and just a lovely place to refresh yourself. (laughs) All right. So today, Monica is going to talk to us about all things mentoring grad students. She's so passionate and so great with her grad students. And I know that a lot of us who take on grad students, sometimes we're a little unsure of what we can impart on them or how best to help them grow. But Monica is the guru for all of us. So before we begin, I am just going to report our financial and non-financial disclosures. I'm Caitlin Lopez. Like I mentioned before, I do receive an honorarium or compensation for this podcast episode from speechtherapypd.com. And I have no relevant non-financial disclosures to report. Monica receives an honorarium for appearing on this episode from speechtherapypd.com. And she has no relevant non-financial relationships to report as well. All right. So like I said, I am just so excited excited to introduce you all to her if you don't know her already. Monica M. Donoso earned her master's degree in communicative disorders from Cal State University Fullerton in 2004. She's a pediatric speech language pathologist and has worked in the school setting for 17 years. She has also worked privately at various clinics in Orange County. She's a literacy and play-based therapist by nature, and recently she was awarded a grant to promote diversity through literacy-based therapy. She loves mentoring and fostering graduate-level interns from Cal State University Fullerton, Biola, and Andrews University. She lives with her husband and two teenage boys in SoCal. And so that is why Monica is absolutely the perfect person to talk about grad students and mentoring them because she has such a a wealth of experience to share with her grad students and the way that she views our field through that diverse lens is so helpful, especially at a time as this, as we are starting to see a lot of the statistics that are coming out that we all knew, we all knew, but now we have the numbers to back it up. Exactly. Um, So Monica, we'll just jump right in. What are three things we need to know when it comes to supervising grad students? Thank you, Caitlin, for having me on and uh, Speech PD. Yes, mentoring is something I'm very passionate about. It's definitely one of the first things or the reason I got into it is because I wanted to give back to my field. You know, I was probably maybe six years out, six or seven years out. And I was at Cal State Fullerton at the speech clinic. And one of my professors asked me, do you want to mentor? And I'm like, what, me? Like, wait a minute. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't even have 10 years under my belt. And I was very like, I don't know if I can do this, but I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? I can't do this. I want to inspire other grad students. I want to give back to my profession and mentoring and supervising was my way, you know, it was during my school day. Cause I still had, you know, small kids at that time. And, you know, I want to make sure like, I just give them a really wonderful experience, whether they go into schools or not, like, you know, you don't always have to go in the schools. I have grad students who have gone on to the medical setting to, you know, different clinics and everything, but it is about, you have to love it. You really do because you are taking someone under your wing and, you know, it's not like a big, you know, financial, like you might get a little something from the university, but sometimes you don't. And that's not why you do it at all. I do it because like I said, I love it. And I want to make sure that they turn into, you know, successful future SLPs who love the field. And I really think the second thing is, I think it's a mutual relationship. Like I'm there to teach them, guide them, help them develop their therapy and assessment skills. But I also learned from them. And I think that was something I wasn't completely expecting, but our field has changed so much since I graduated in 2004. So they have all these skills like Google Slides, Canva, Boom. They can make Boom cards. They can do all these things that green screens that I couldn't do. So definitely they teach me as well. I mean, I don't know. I could have learned all the things I did during the pandemic if it wasn't for my interns who had all these technological skills and everything. So, you know, I am there to foster their learning and their growth and development as a speech language pathologist, but I am also learning from them as well. And the third thing is, you know, be flexible. A lot of these grad students are, you know, taking three to four classes while they are doing our school practicum. Some of them have jobs still. Some of them, you know, I've never worked with real kids during the pandemic. I think I had four pandemic interns and one of them had never worked with real kids. They'd only been on Zoom with them. Their first experience was with me last spring with real students in front of them. And that was kind of I think, shocking, but it was also fun for them because how do you learn that's the only way? It's not the only way, but neither is, you know, being in the schools or being, you know, in front of a group of three or four, but it is real life if they do decide to go into the schools. So definitely I think being flexible is important, you know, and sometimes they take other practicums. So at Cassie Fullerton, I know one of my interns took like multicultural clinic, which is a really hard clinic or probably the hardest clinic there. And so I tried to be understanding. I tried to listen to them because I went through that program. I went through that <laughs> I know what it's like. And I really have a big empathy for, you know, my grad students. For me, it was like yesterday, you know, I can go back and just, you know, even though it was 18 years ago, I really do relate and tell them like, you know, it is the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. (laughs) It is an experience, you know, you're going to love and hate it. You're going to take a lot away from it. You're going to learn a lot, but in the end, you know, at some point, you know, you want to graduate and you want to start, you know, being a full-fledged SLP and everything, but one day you're going to miss it. It's so true. I mean, I think back now to, oh man, I really wish I could just go observe another SLP and 
a workshop, you know, this therapy idea or try some things out, or I mean, just shadowing other SLPs. I would love to do that now. And I didn't realize what a gift that was when I was going through the program, because I was just thinking about, like you said, all of the other things that were on my plate. So I think that's such a great advice and a great lens to look at our students through that idea of being flexible. Yeah, it really is, you know, and they have no days off because they're studying or they're trying to take comps while they're, are they called comps anymore? (laughs) I think so. I hope so. They call them something different. Casas, I think they're called. So even just the lingo is different. Oh, my cohort, like we weren't called a cohort then. There was just 12 or 14 of us girls (laughs) (laughs) at the same time. But now there's names for them, like me and my cohort or my friend and my cohort. And I was like, what's a cohort? (laughs) yeah yeah it's true right like the lingo has totally changed and I think the way that you talk about being flexible I think also not only to take into consideration just the loads that they're carrying but the different personalities too Mm -hmm. of I remember well I've supervised or mentored students from two different programs and the mindsets from the two different programs are vastly different Mm-hmm. And, and so that was really fun to kind of compare and contrast, but also thinking about, okay, so I went to school at one of the universities and then the other university, I ended up being a clinical instructor in one of their oh. clinics. And so I had a lot of time with those professors and got to see how they did things. And then I knew how my professors did things. So it kind of made sense when I had these students from the different universities and how they process things and, and thought about things. And then I also kind of had to check myself too on, oh, well, this is the way I think you should learn because it's the way I learn. Yep. You yeah. know, of okay, just jump in there and do it. Oh, you want to watch first and talk about it and really dissect it before you get your feet wet, you know, which again, I think is a good example too of what you talked about is like having real life kids yes. in front of you. Mm-hmm. It really is. I really have a special place in my heart for my pandemic interns. Like all my interns, I love. I want the best for you. You know, I want to go to your baby shower. I like, you know, support you in whatever, you know, happens in your life because you are more than an SLP. You know, this is just one little transition in your life or one part of your life going to grad school. I'm happy, honored to be a part of it. But they definitely, our pandemic interns really had the short end of the stick. You know, some of them got COVID. Some of them were on hybrid or we started out on Zoom and then we came back part-time, but we're still going back and forth and the flexibility they had to do during this. Or one of my interns had never been on campus. Her whole program, the last two years, was not on campus. And then she finally had to go buy a parking permit. Like, I mean, it's just a whole, I'm like, you've never gone on campus? Like, you've never been to a speech clinic? Like, what? So it's very eye-opening. And especially my past pandemic interns before I had, I just have so much just empathy for them. Because I don't know if I could have done that and had the resilience they did to continue this program, which is very rigorous. Doesn't matter, I think, what school you go to. The rigor is definitely there. For sure. For sure. You know, and I think too, I had one grad student who I grew up with just tons of cousins all around and different ages of cousins. And there were just always little kids. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I was 
babysitting when I was a teenager and just around kids all the time. And a lot of my friends grew up very similarly. And even I, I'll use the word cohort, you know, those of us in my cohort, we were just classmates. They grew up very similarly, you know? And so I had a grad student who I ended up, there was a situation that happened with her first clinical instructor and couldn't finish with that clinical instructor. And she was six weeks from graduation. And so she ended up with me and there wasn't a whole lot of learning that happened those prior weeks with her previous clinical instructor. There was, that's part of the issue of how she ended up with me. And she had no experience with kids before this clinic, which she'd had some, but it was kind of like some group clinic situations. Mm-hmm. And so it was, oh, mm-hmm. oh, we're having to not only learn some of these, you know, things about IEPs and we're also having to learn what it's like to just play on a kid's level. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things. And it also gave me a lot of gratitude for what it is that we do yes. and a lot of respect for what we do because it's so easy to go, oh yeah, I write IEPs. Yeah, I write goals. I do therapy. But then to think about all the other things that we, you know, juggle, it always reminds me of that when we have grad students. Exactly. Because there's so much that goes into that IEP. There's so much that, so I feel like I have like a plan to, you know, that we go over them, but by, you know, some point you take over the whole caseload, like it's yours, because this is the only experience you're going to get. We're not like regular teachers where they get, you know, upper grade and the lower grade, you know, they get two semesters. We get one semester. Sometimes in our programs, I do see them go to like a different clinic or they might have, you know, but the school practicum one, I think Biola maybe has like a different kind of where they go two days or start something and then they go to their full practicum later. So the programs do vary a little bit, but Cal State Fullerton and most programs I see, it's like you get one shot to learn everything in that 12 to 14 weeks. So it's a huge undertaking and responsibility. And I do want to make sure, you know, they not only get their hours because, you know, I felt just a huge responsibility, like, especially when we closed down during the pandemic, like, wait a minute, I took on this intern from Andrews University and how is she going to get her hours? How, you know, that worried me. And I think it propelled me to really jump into this Zoom and teletherapy or telehealth. There's another bunch of names I learned because uh, not only to provide a service for my students, but to make sure my intern got her hours because she was graduating. She was going to be done in, you know, that 14 weeks. And that really just propelled me. I'm like, okay, we're going to start. I think I was like one of the first speech paths in my, you know, we closed March 13th and like by March 20th, somewhere around there, we were starting to see kids because, and we started with my own son because he was at my school and he did receive services, but I was never the speech path. It was always like somebody else's slip a, one of my grad students, there was another SLP. I'm like, we're just going to practice with him. Like, he's mine. It's okay. Like, We're going to get this. And we did. I'm like, okay, let's add more kids. Let's add more kids the next week. Okay. And let's go. Like, I never saw her again. <laughs> you know, once we closed down on March 13, unless we were on Zoom. And then like, I think we met again at the inn in person, but I mean, it was only her first or second week and we shut down. That is such a beautiful example of your mutual relationship. Oh, thank you. You know, that idea of she inspired you to just jump right in. Yeah. And people worried worried about HIPAA and that is stuff to worry about. But, 
it was like, whoa, like, no, we got to do this. Like, we aren't coming back. Like, I knew that. I knew we weren't coming back. You know, I remember having my first IEP, March 28th or something. Like, we were like, no, like, guys, we cannot wait till next year or when we supposedly come back. My sister's a nurse too. (laughs) So I had this, no, I can't come back to 25 more IEPs plus what? No, no, we have to start. We have to get this done. You know, all these, you know, I just, I had a responsibility to my students, to my grad students as well. And so we jumped in. We really did. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so awesome. And I agree with you, like that mutual relationship of, I learn so much from my students Mm -hmm. and the therapy, you know, games and activities that they bring in. I'm like, oh, this is so easy. And yet I never thought of this or what a great way to play baseball in the speech room without an actual ball or whatever it is that they come up with. It's so much fun to see them try. And it inspires me to try and, okay, you know, I know that like you almost feel as a student that you kind of have that safety net of your supervisor or your clinical instructor to fall onto, but it does inspire me to keep trying. Cause I also think, well, how brave are they to try this out when I could judge them? Yeah. So I love yeah. that. But I love your perspectives on the three things we need to know and just your stories that you share really bring those things to life. So thank you. Thank what you. are two resources that you have to share for helping us become better mentors? Yeah, I would think, you know, your supervision class is huge. So even if you think, I think it's so important, even if you think you're not going to get like, you know, a student like tomorrow or whatnot, you know, to be prepared and have that already under your belt. You know, I think I took mine last through ASHA online and it was during the pandemic or right before it started. So I did that, but I've taken them in person at Pasadena City College. I've taken them through my district. Like it's the same class for supervising a SLIPA or a grad student. So you don't know what your caseload or what your schools might be next year. You can be changed at any moment or someone might need help, or you might need slip of help at your school, depending on the numbers. So it's important that you take that class. Even if you, you know, I never thought I was going to have a slip of, I remember people thinking like, they're going to put us out of our jobs or something. And people were scared. And I was like, do I really have to be in this training? It was given by my first district. And they're like, yeah, you should. It's really good. I'm like, okay. And it was, it was fabulous. But I didn't know, you know, I know now and how important it is, you know, because you need to supervise, you need, you know, as time the supervision goes down, you know, and you have to supervise them at least 25%. But, you know, I learned a lot from my supervision class. And I think, then you have to, do you have to renew it now every like two years? I don't know about California state license. I should look into that, but Asha, you only have to do it once because I just recently, it's kind of fun after we booked you to be on the podcast, Cal Baptist reached out and asked if I would take a student. Nice. So I was like, perfect timing. Yeah. Be ready. Yeah. And I think it's just two hours of a course that you need. Yes. And so So. I've taken it like five or six times now in my years, but because you used to have to take it every two years. So I need to check on that, but definitely I feel that that's really important. I think you do for California. You have to take it every two years if you're going to have a slip up. But I would agree with you that different courses will focus on different things. 
Cause yes. I'm remembering a course that was really good about having difficult conversations. Mm. And then another course that was about, you know, cultural and generational differences with grad students, which is helpful as well. So yeah. I agree with you to just take them, take them, <laughs> take them. And at that time, I think Ashley was having that. Then they did the free PD pass for a little bit, like experience it for free. And so I remember taking a few classes. I wish I took more, but you know, at that time I didn't, I was like, I'm just going to take a few since I'm at home. Come on, Monica, you know, you're not only a wife and a mother and a sister and a very busy family member. Yeah, no. So, yeah, I mean, so that was wonderful that we were able to take that and everything. I think the second thing is to take advantage of the local universities, colleges around you. Like you're around Cal Baptist, you're around Loma Linda, right? Yeah, Loma Linda and Redlands. Awesome. Like, I think those are wonderful ways because like, I think I'm maybe eight minutes from Cal State Fullerton, 10 from Biola, maybe 20, 25 minutes from Chapman. So geographically, depending on where you are, like I'm right off the freeway (laughs) where my school is. I, I, you don't even have to get on the freeway. Like if you go to school at Cal State Fullerton. So I think if you are willing to supervise and you really want to mentor. I think, you know, getting a hold of that grad program, obviously the clinic director or school practicum coordinator. So, I mean, I receive maybe eight to 10 emails a year asking me to supervise, whether it's from, you know, for a SLIPA, whether it's for grad students, some people, you know, live in, you know, Brea where I work, or they went to school there. One of my interns graduated from Brayalinda High School and had asked, you know, she'd like to intern there. So Dr. Signs at Cassie Fullerton had gotten hold of me. And I'm like, sure. One of my grad interns, one of my first pandemic intern, Robin, she was an aide in preschool SDC. And she had gone away to college, I think in Michigan. And then she came back home and she asked that, you know, can I do my practicum there? I was eight. And I'm like, sure. You know, I never worked with Andrews University. I'm like, what do I have to do? Of course. Like, you know, I, I'm happy to supervise you. So some people have a connection to, you know, the city or the district I work in. And then some of it just happens. Like, I know one of my other interns, I think she was originally, she went to Sacramento State, but she was down here for Cal State Fullerton. And she called me in the summer, like scared. If I stay down here, will I get all my hours? Or she was so nervous about it. Or should I move back home to, you know, Sacramento where, you know, I could live probably for free at my parents' house and, you know, get a practicum over there. And I'm like, you know, it's really up to you, Mike, but you will get all your hours. After my first pandemic intern, I was like, you will get hours. I will make sure you get those hours and everything. I don't think that should be your worry. It's more about what you are comfortable with and what you want to do. And she ended up staying and she's a colleague of mine now at my district, you know? So, (laughs) I mean, things happen for a reason. And I really strongly believe that, you know, the universities, they're always looking for, you know, SLPs to supervise. Some universities don't have a clinic, a speech and hearing clinic on their university. So I don't think Chapman does. Chapman, I think, sources out for all of theirs. Biola has one, but I don't know how it actually works there. But some universities just don't have the manpower or like, I don't know, Redlands probably does, right? 
Redlands has, I was a clinical supervisor for their childhood speech and language clinic, which was just what you would see in the school system. You know, you'd have kids with mixed goals and kids with mixed diagnoses. And then they also, when I was there several years ago, they also had an autism clinic and all the other various clinics. So they do have that experience, but it's more of like a private practice experience than it Mm -hmm. is a true you know, writing IEPs and writing goals and what it looks like to be present in an IEP meeting and things like that. So they got experience of working with kids and drafting goals and drafting reports, but not that IEP piece, which is a major piece of what we do as school SLPs. So it's very specific. It's very unique. It is. It is. And everything. I mean, I love it. (laughs) But I definitely think, you know, with grad programs online now, too, if you really wanted to supervise, I mean, that's something with Zoom and all this we can do more easily now. But I think universities are always looking for supervisors. Some people maybe had a bad experience. They're never going to take one again. You know, it just depends. You know, I think all of my experiences have been, you know, 99% great. Yeah. And I would say even I hit that student that I had where she came in late, I had really high expectations for her. And then when we actually had a conversation and sat down and talked about what her experience was like with her previous instructor or her previous supervisor, and then her experience as a whole with children, it was really eye-opening. And I realized, okay, yes, you are getting ready to graduate in six weeks, but you have no desire to be in this setting. Mm-hmm. And so let's just see how we can help you grow the next six weeks yes. and help you thrive, but also make sure that, you know, you've got some demand. I don't want to say demands placed on you, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like You're still going to be held accountable for some things, yes. but, and I learned a lot. I learned probably more than she did of how to work with students and how to adjust, you know, those expectation levels for what's really appropriate. You know, we do those for our students on our caseload. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like what you're saying, like I sat down with her and I had this conversation of what her experience is. Like I wouldn't have known that my last intern hadn't had experience with students in real life, unless I sat down with her. Because my expectation is you've gone through Cassie Fullerton, you should have, you know, worked in the speech and hearing clinic, but no, they were all on Zoom. So sitting down with your graduate level intern and learning about them and trying to, you know, get gauge where their experience is, you know, have you ever given a Goldman Fristo? Okay, you've done that, but you haven't done a language battery. Okay, we're going to give you experience with that. And by, you know, at some point, you're going to write reports, you're going to learn to write goals or more goals in the school setting. So I think it's important to definitely, you know, have that sit down with them and what the expectations are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I learned with her too, her personality style was, not super forthcoming right away. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, oh, thank you so much for taking me on. I really appreciate it. Yes. You know, like I think she was very much a yes woman. And yes, a lot of us are that way. We're a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes, 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 I can do that. And then things were not quite going well for us and for her. And so we just, we had a regroup and it was okay. 
let's refigure some things. So I think that's a perfect, like that we're there to help them. We're there to help them grow. They're there to learn. And, you know, if there is a problem and you talk to me about it, like, you know, like things happen, you know, they have an interview, especially towards the end of their grad program. You know, is it okay? I'm late. Well, yeah, totally fine. But you need to communicate that to me so I can plan accordingly and everything. So I think that's important. You know, I'm always grateful for my master clinician. I lived in San Clemente at that time. So I did my practicum at a school that was like dual immersion. It's like 20 years ago. And I'm always so grateful for my master clinician. I'm still friends with her till this day. You know, I just had a really good experience with her. I mean, I was so far from casting, but that's where I lived at the time. And, you know, I had a wonderful experience. So I always try to, you know, emulate that. You know, I want to be the grad supervisor that you need, that you want, (laughs) that you look back on and, okay, I'm thankful I had Monica or, you know, Mrs. Dino. So, you know, so I want to make sure that it encourages you as well, that if you have a good experience, guess what? Later on, you're going to want a mentor too someday in your career. And if I did that, you know, that's huge on top of helping you learn and grow as a speech language pathologist. I'm proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked about taking the class Mm -hmm. and then the second resource that you have for us was taking advantage of the universities around. Oh, that's right. That's right. Taking advantage of the universities. And I think something that is helpful, like with this student, that I was, we were having a disconnect. Mm-hmm. I called the professor that was in charge of the practicum. And I just said, Hey, this is my experience. Are you familiar with this student? The program is small enough that she was. And she said, you know, this is my take on her that she's probably been a really straight A student completes all of her assignments, but there's something that's missing. Do you know what it is? And she said, I think that's what it is, is that she's really good at following assignments, but not necessarily thinking on her own and having that self-esteem piece. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I mean, I shouldn't say that's all that we do with kids. Cause I only had experience with adults in grad school. I never <laughs> went that route. I've never worked, you know, with any adults past graduate school. So, you know, with kids, I feel like that's what we're constantly playing off of them all day long, which can be hard if you've never had any of those experiences. So she gave me a lot of great things to think about before I had my conversation with her. Yeah. And I think that's what the school practicum coordinator is for too. Like if there is something that goes amiss or you guys aren't jiving or it's just, you know, that's why they're there and a conversation, you know, can happen and everything. So I think that's important too, because they're another resource for us because they've set up the contract with the district. They've set up that this is going to be your intern. Like like other professions, I think like interview their <laughs> grad students. I've never, whatever comes to me, I take on as, you know, my intern or, uh, you know, I we don't like interview them. As I think like other professions, they had a panel or something. No. Yeah, I know when I was working in the school system, I just got who I got, you know, Redlands, I had a relationship with Redlands and Mm -hmm. they would just send me a student. And I had a relationship with Loma Linda because I went to school there and I Mm -hmm. stayed in contact with the school practicum coordinator and she would just send me students. Yeah. 
you know, it wasn't ever, oh, we're going to send you this student because of this reason or that reason. It was the student is slated at this time to be in a school setting and you are willing. So there you go. They need, they need you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 125 hours. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now I'm in a clinic. I haven't been there very long and we are interviewing students. Wow. wow. But it's the school reaches out to the clinic. They have the relationship with the clinic. And then they say, we have this student and our speech manager, speech lead will interview the student. I don't think she's ever turned anybody away. Yeah. I don't think we do. Like, yeah. I, don't see that. I don't like, it's just more of like, she just kind of gets a feel for how much support the student might need. And mm-hmm. that's about it. I don't think she's ever turned anyone away. So. Yeah, some are going to need more support than others. The other thing I know you said only two, but you give know, me more. Instagram is a great resource. I've only been on there like two years, really, <laughs> or a year and a half. Yeah, so I was very moved by how much people support each other, especially you know as women in this field, and I love it and everything. And there's also, have you heard of the BEAM program? Yeah. uh, Well, I've heard about it through you. And then I started following a little bit more about it through you because it's such an amazing program. Can you share with us a little bit more? Yeah. So I got to know Sarah and Sarah, this is her baby and, you know, I just changed names, but it's bilingual empowerment through allied mentorship. So it's not just grad students. It could be students who are trying to get into grad school, It's to mentor minority and diverse students and clinical fellows, too, because those CFYs, too, need our support and our guidance, especially if you graduated during the last two years and those pursuing to be bilingual SLPs. It's for them to see someone like them who is an SLP, because that's not always what they see. So I did one cycle and I want to go back. It's just so busy right now, but Sarah is fabulous. I mean, they have people mentoring people in Brazil or just, it's so astounding how big it's gotten. And Ingrid, I know is one of their main mentors as well. But through that program, I've also met people who are like, oh, can you help me with my bio? Or can you help me with my, you know, grad letter to the university trying to get into grad school. And I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't been to grad school in 20 years. Let me get you someone else who has recently done that. I said, I can hook you up with someone else. And that's what is so wonderful about this Instagram that I've met other SLPs or, you know, graduate students that, you know, want to mentor, that want to be just there for other students. And I loved it. I loved it. So I hope to do it again. It's just the time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How can, if any of our listeners are bilingual or have a difference other than white (laughs) that are more diverse, you know, how can they be a part of this program? How can they reach out? Sarah, it's Sarah Gonzalez and she's a bilingual SLP or at a bilingual SLP. And she's in charge. There's like a little Google form. It's like super easy. And they even meet as mentors. And then, you know, you meet your mentee. I think it's like five times over. Yeah, I figured since you had mentioned also that you might be mentoring somebody in Brazil. That would be hard. (laughs) Pardon me? Not me. I'm not mentoring someone in Brazil, but they are mentoring someone in Brazil. And they have mentors, I think, 
from Spain. It's astounding what Sarah has done. And she's only been out of school like under five years. Um, I feel like the, these fresh species that have graduated within like the last five years are just incredible and they are so inspiring. Yes, they are inspiring to me. And I'm, you know, 18 years out and just to be like accepted because I didn't think I could do it again. I got some of that, like, I don't think I can, I'm not bilingual to be, you know, I can, you know, assess and for three-year-olds, two years, 10 months, 18-month-olds, like in Spanish, you know, but I can't, I don't call myself fluent, you know, I do come from that culture and it was, you know, uh, Ingrid and Sarah really encouraged me like, you can do this. And I'm like, okay, because <laughs> even I was scared all these years later, like, what if they ask me <laughs> these questions? I don't know. Well, we're here to help you. So they really supported me as well. That's so awesome. So you were being, even though you were a mentor, you were still being mentored in the position. That is fantastic. And how powerful for a Latina SLP to see you and know that it's possible and know that not only am I going to, you know, thrive in this position, but I can be a bad boss woman too. You know, that's so awesome. It is. It is so awesome. I'm so excited for our field right now and where it's going and just how much like I've connected with other people like you and I know I went to some other like grad minority event in Long Beach a couple weeks ago and that was just so inspiring like I just left like on cloud nine because it was just so cool to be part of that that looked amazing we were busy that weekend but I was really hoping just to go and support and, you know, share funds, buy some things from all of you guys that were selling items, you know, to support what it is in the movement that's happening in our field is amazing. Yeah. I mean, and it's it, really cool to see that. It is. And it just worked out. Like I didn't have soccer game that Saturday. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a Saturday free, you know, but it was just wonderful. And like the connections I made there, like just talking to other undergrads, slippers that are thinking about going back to school, like. So it was really just very moving experience. I really, so I hope they do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially in Southern California, you know, exactly. hopefully they can, but I mean, it would also be super helpful if they did it all over the country. I know exactly. Southern California, I feel like is a lot more diverse in our SLPs, our clinic alone. Like it's really great to see the diversity, but I think that's due to the area that we live in and the schools that are in our surrounding area are definitely thinking about those things, you know, when it comes to students in their program. So that's good to see. What do you recommend for those of us that do happen to be white, that don't share culture or don't share some of the language backgrounds of our grad students or of our slippers? What do you recommend for us? You know, how can we be supportive allies? I think there's like resources out there, you know, different, like you were saying, like there's some classes or workshops you went to. I think there's more out there now that wasn't there 18 years ago and everything that I would take advantage of all those things that are available for SLPs. I mean, there's a lot of things like just even on Instagram, free this and that. Yes, it's going to take some of your time, but I think it's good that allies is a big word right now, too. And I just feel like our profession and the different conversations that are happening are good, are going to help propel us forward into a better place. And, you know, I think there's a lot of support 
online. And I think you have to take advantage of that because that didn't exist before. Yeah. So I I mean, even when I graduated in 2012, this wasn't a conversation that we were having. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as you were talking about taking advantage of different classes, I think sometimes we have to think outside of our SLP world when it comes to those classes Mm -hmm. of looking for those DEI classes of diversity, equity, and inclusion outside of our world and really challenge some of the worldviews we might have grown up with. Yeah. Um, And I need to take those classes too. They weren't available before to me or like DEI, like that wasn't a word that we used and inclusion and everything's just changing. And I think it's changing into a good, positive way. And so I think that's important for us to take advantage. Even me as, you know, a Latina, like I still can learn different things or about other cultural backgrounds and everything. We have that multicultural clinic at Cal State Fullerton, but I think it just, they have still a multicultural class they don't have the multicultural clinic anymore, which was sad that it went away, but it is like most of the students we see are of a different culture. At least that was a requirement for that multicultural clinic. You had to work with someone else of a different culture, but I think too, that helped me learn a lot as well. So I think some of those things, if it's not embedded in your program, there are classes available online or if you go to a workshop or if you go to Kasha or something, there are things that we need to take advantage of. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you for that. Did you know that speechtherapypd.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. All right. What is one actionable strategy that you have for us as we become better mentors? Yeah, I would say, you know, create some kind of Google Doc or mine would have been a Word Doc, (laughs) of course, to be prepared to when you do, you know, get your mentee things you want to talk to them about, your expectations, attire, schedule. Some universities only require three days. Some universities require four five. It just depends or on how many hours they need. You know, if you need more than 125 hours, like three days, you're going to have to give probably four, you know, some of them still have classes on Friday. So they can only do four. I think I've been more flexible about that, but I think it's important. You write down the things like you need to treat this like a job. The expectation is that this clinic is like a job. And you need to be punctual. You need to sometimes run with kids. So (laughs) wear some tennis shoes. (laughs) You know, so I think it's really important that you kind of delineate what you expect. I expect you to observe the first week. You know, then I'm going to have you plan something. You know, you don't have to write a two page (laughs) lesson plan, but, you know, tell me what you're going to plan or like look at what I have in my classroom. I have so much toys and games. Like, don't go buy anything. Just look in here, use what I have, you know, but I do want you to observe, plan, take over groups, you know, little by little, or, you know, tell me when you're ready, execute therapy. I expect you to eventually assess and write evaluation reports. So they probably write maybe three to five, but, you know, the reports aren't like the ones you do in grad school. (laughs) I'm not going to be putting a red pin over. Right. So, but we do maybe go back once or twice, you know, it just depends, but that is the expectation 
that we're going to do an assessment and have you write goals for them. We're going to write a report. We're going to run an IEP. And by the end, I do expect you to run at least, you know, one IEP. I'm there, <laughs> but, you know, I do expect you to do all the parent rights and, and everything. So they get that experience because that's all they get. Right. Right. You know, I remember my first full-time grad student because Loma Linda did have where they would come in just a few mornings a week, maybe two mornings a week, eight hours at most, you know, and it was just kind of to get their feet wet. They weren't necessarily going to be spending enough time with me to get in that assessment, that IEP. But the first time I had a full blown student and I was like, okay. And it was my first time. So I wasn't as prepared either. I was like, okay, we're going to go observe the student. And I was like, what were your observations? And they're like, they were doing their work. (laughs) They sometimes didn't do their work. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about, okay. These are the things that I'm looking about. You know, I'm not necessarily paying attention to the student. Actually, I'm paying attention to what the teacher is teaching, how many, you know, how rich in language the teacher's language is how positive the atmosphere is in the classroom, how, you know, how many distractions might be available to the student or in the classroom if there is, I don't know, some sort of noise going on in the corner, all the things that would impact a student's learning. We're not just thinking about the student. Oh my goodness, (laughs) you know, thinking about what that looked like was really, and again, it goes back to my point of when I think about what it is that we do, I'm like, wow, we do a lot of things when you actually have to teach it to another person. Yeah. Your brain's like just going, go, 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 go. Oh, did you see this? What did you think of this? Like, cause I do ask like, well, how'd you think that went? Not that it went bad, but I just want to know how they think it went. Well, what did you think about that? So I, I put a lot like on them, you know, it should be open conversation. Don't feel like I'm coming, you know, to, you know, critique you. I mean, I, there for that, but I'm going to talk to you or see, oh, could we have done this better? Or, you know, because I make mistakes too. Sometimes what I think is going to go as a fabulous group does not, it flops, you know, and I, and I tell them, I'm honest with them. I make mistakes too, even 18 years after, like I still get flops. (laughs) That's just part of it. Some days the therapy goes really well, or this is like my first run. I try to do, you know, if I'm doing like a movie, something like I do a first run. Okay. How can we change it? Okay. I'm gonna make tickets or something. Like, how can we make it better? Almost like a dress rehearsal you know, but I try to have those conversations with them because I want it to be like, they can come to me. You know, I don't want you to be afraid of me. (laughs) I'm like, I'm scary, but you know, that we have this relationship that we can talk about, you know, what do you think about? Well, okay. How did that go? What, you know, how can we help with that behavior, you know, or whatnot. And sometimes they get some rapport better with a student than I even could. So really, I get really surprised or like happy that they, you know, have had those successes as well during their experience. And I love that idea of asking them questions of how do you think this went? You know, how and I think I've learned, too, that sometimes my students will think about, oh, that went really well. Johnny did so great in this way. Okay, but how did it go for you? Yeah. You know, how do you think you did? How did you see yourself in the session? I think is really helpful because that's something that I'm constantly having to remind myself to ask myself that question after groups or after sessions with kids. Marie Murataya from Thanks Morris was on the podcast several months ago, and she was talking about how that's such a big piece of mindfulness for her in her sessions. 
and how she will ask herself that question after really tough sessions, after really great sessions. And then also again, you know, during IEP meetings. And I think that's such a great thing to teach our students how to do their own self-assessment. Exactly. Like what you were saying. Yeah, we do it all the time. (laughs) I I feel like just thinking, did that go right? That didn't go as I imagined it would go. I thought that kid was going to like that and he didn't. (laughs) I know. And when you talked about like the report, I had a student this last winter and after my student left, my kid kept asking for her. Where's Miss Courtney? Where's Miss Courtney? I was like, I'm yeah. sorry. You know what? Why don't we FaceTime her? I know she's at lunch right now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm they, sorry they to break your heart. Like, yeah. I'm the old speech teacher's back. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. right. Yeah, it is. So it's sad when they leave. You know, we try to have like a some kind of party or, or something, but to have them say like goodbye but they don't understand sometimes that they're only with me for a little bit of time and everything but the kids do love my interns and I'm so happy they do and they they build that rapport with them and everything I really love it what was the other thing I was going to say oh I already said treat it like a job they have to track their own hours (laughs) that's their responsibility I definitely talk about you know I dress very California casual so I am in tennis shoes a lot in case you have to chase the kids or run with them. My kindergartners gave me a workout last year. So we just, I keep talking also about confidentiality, you know, about students. I don't, you know, talk about them outside of, you know, here or we have to be careful, you know, if you're out in the community because they are local as well. Um, most of my interns and just about, you know, every week you're going to get more and more responsibilities until the caseload basically is like yours and for the time that you're here. So they learn how to take like some notes, you know, on my Google notes <laughs> that, you know, luckily it's not a notebook anymore. I've gone to the digital age and it's just an experience. I just want them to have a really good experience and they have to collab with teachers, psychologists. I have like five ed specialists right now. We collab probably with three of them now, but I used to have all five. So it's really, we have my principal. There's just a lot of people that they have to meet and engage with. So it's an experience. That is such a rich experience. As you're talking about things, I'm thinking, man, I've kind of failed my students in some aspects because of what I'm thinking is like, oh, I'm shielding them or not. Like, it's almost like I don't want the expectations to be too high or I don't want them to worry too much, but it is good for them to have that exposure. And, you know, it is scary when you are the student and you have to go talk to the principal or have to go talk to the teacher. And usually I would facilitate those conversations and allow the student to observe them. But I'm thinking now in the future, I'm going to push them to, all right, we're going to go talk to Miss W, but I want you to come up with what's the purpose of our conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, you know, observing students because we have to go observe them on the playground. Okay. You go observe, or I'm going to, you know, observe with you. And the next time I'm going to let you go <laughs> by yourself or like, see what they get in their perspective. Cause you're right. They might only see the periphery and there's more to it. You know, they were, how many prompts did the aid use in the classroom or, you know, was there any sensory breaks or did that, you know, so what, yeah, the whole picture, the whole child. And so they do learn, I feel like they have to learn 
so much in that 14 weeks that they are allotted because this is all they get. Like, you know, it used to be like, oh yeah, make sure you copy this book (laughs) because, you know, you might need this phonology book or now they have TBT or whatnot, or they'll create something even better. But at that time, I remember being nervous myself as a grad student, like, oh my gosh, I don't have this book. What am I going to do if I don't have this concepts (laughs) from super duper? (laughs) Right, right. You know, our super duper cards that we used to live by you know, I, yeah. And I do feel like your point of it's a mutual relationship. I have to admit, I was not on Instagram before the podcast. I wasn't on any social media really. And then I popped on and I thought, oh my goodness, there is so much on here. I'm so inspired. Oh my goodness. I should have been rethinking things that way or what a cool concept to use you know, to totally redo my critter clinic. That was a big one oh this week. Where's my schoolhouse critter clinic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so there's just so much that I really do see this generation of fresh species coming out with, they understand just the camaraderie and the inspiration that Instagram can provide and the camaraderie and the things that they're talking about in their classes. And I feel like, They are such much, that does not sound like good grammar to me. They are much better clinicians than I was at that stage. Yeah, I just always just astounded or in awe of all of them. And I never, you know, one of the reasons I got on Instagram was because I knew I had ideas and I knew I wanted to share them. You know, I have had these interns, but I was like, how can I get you know, more of a reach where I can meet other people and have them, you know, see what I do in therapy. Maybe I've thought of something that someone has before. And I just loved it so much that I'm able to exchange ideas with people that I would have never met in real life. Even if I saw you at ASHA, like I wouldn't have, you know, had to exchange ideas with you. And so for me, it was like, oh, like I get to meet and connect and collaborate with different SLPs from all over. And I love it. I love it because I never thought that would be possible. And so I really just have taken to it, you know? Yeah. And SLPs are so helpful. You know, if there's an SLP that's really good or really passionate about an area, I know Kristen Barba, Speech and Joy. So I actually knew her before before she was an SLP. She like popped up on my Instagram and my TikTok. And I was like, oh my gosh, Kristen, you're such a big deal, (laughs) which is so fun to see. But she's so helpful, you know, in answering people's questions on cycles approach and just speech sound disorders. And I know a lot of other therapists are just super helpful when it comes to literacy-based therapy questions or RTI questions or whatever it is that you have. I'm just astounded by our community. I think it's a wonderful community. Yeah. And how helpful and kind everyone is. Yeah. Kristen um, tried to help me learn how to do the little things on Instagram where you have to time it. <laughs> I figured it out. Like, I just don't have those technological skills. And they have so much patience with me because I'm a little older than them. <laughs> and they try so hard. They'll send me little videos. And I'm like, still can't get it. Well, I love your Instagram. And One of the reasons why I love your Instagram, which actually leads me to my next question for you, is because you just reiterate over and over and over again how we are more than SLPs. And I think it's something that I need to hear a lot. 
because this job definitely can take over, you know, especially if we're scrolling Instagram, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to change my critter clinic into schoolhouse clinic. And then I'm spending the next couple hours doing that. You know, there's always something to do in our field. So how are ways that you inspire your students? Because they are kind of in a place in their lives where it is their life. Yeah, it is their life. Going to grad school. Like I said, I remember it like it was yesterday and I was all about grad school. You know, I didn't have, I dropped all my hobbies. Like I was like, oh no, like this is seven years of my life. (laughs) This is what I knew already. It was going to be SLP before I was 18. I knew like this was the trajectory. This is the school I wanted to go to, you know, whatnot. And so I was so engrossed in, you know, speech language pathology that I graduated and I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) who am I? Like, you know, where are my hobbies? And I remember talking to one of my first interns, Robin Reina, and she liked art. I think she was a post-bac. She actually, I think, graduated from UCSB with psychology or something and then went to Cal State Fullerton post-bac. And she had like some kind of like art, like she could draw and she could do artistic like things. I don't have that. (laughs) But I was like, you know what? Don't give that up. Like keep doing that because what happens is, you're going to graduate and you can't just, just be, you know, a speech language pathologist. I remember like walk, like I could see us walking right now on my school grounds and telling her because, you know, that's a great like hobby. It's relaxing, you know, it's fun. I'm like, don't give that up. Keep doing it. Even if it's not like, you're not gonna be able to maybe do it every week, but do it. And I remember just like, you know, you have what, and one of the conversations too, like I like to have with my interns too, is like, okay, well, tell me more about you too. Like, I know you're here to, you're in grad school. What about you? Like your family, like, where'd you grow up? Like, I want to know about you, you know, what brought you here? What, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do when you're not at school? Because I felt I lacked that. I really did. Now I picked it up again. You know, I like to bake. I like to make salsa. I like to make different things. My son's probably going to pass me up though. He made coconut shrimp the other day. (laughs) I'm like, I don't make tortillas. Like he's just passing me up. Like I can't even make that stuff. But it's so important, like just to be more than the job because for a long time I was just the job. All I did was the job and it wasn't healthy. All my friends, you know, my friends are still SLPs. (laughs) A lot of them are. But like, it's also important that, you know, once my job is over, I close this computer and that was really hard during the pandemic. My office was the kitchen (laughs) and I was responding to emails at 10 o'clock. You know, what am I doing? Uh, This wasn't healthy for me because there wasn't, you know, just like a fine line. I leave work and I leave it at work. It was now at my home and everything. And I had to relearn some things about myself. I need to spend time with my family. I need to spend time with my husband. I need to spend time with my kids. I need to make sure that I am, you know, the best mom. I'm not saying I wasn't, but yeah, my mind is always kind of still, I have my speech hat on always, but I am more than that. I am, you know, a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, and I am a cousin. And I love enjoying my time with my cousins and just getting that break and everything. And so I think that, like, I've learned that too through my mentoring. I think that's a really powerful conversation to have with your students 
to remind them it's okay to put the books down for an hour. Yeah. It's okay to, you know, just an hour a day. It's not a big deal. And I do feel like this generation is a little bit more cognizant of that. Even though they might be more cognizant, you know, we can know something, but to do something is completely different. Exactly. Exactly. How powerful for you an SLP that they really look up to. And you're also an authority figure, you know, for those few weeks to tell them it's okay. I would rather you take this hour to paint and then give me something that is, you know, to come in with a full cup instead of coming in burnt out and not enjoying the work that we do. Cause it's too hard to not enjoy it. Exactly. And you still want to enjoy it. 18, yeah. 15, 10 years down the road. You want to enjoy it. And this is, you know, what I'm going to do the rest of my life. You know, I better enjoy it. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. Like, what am I doing with my life and everything? But I know I have, you know, I doubt my parents actually know what I do still. My parents wonder, why are you wearing pants? Why aren't you wearing like a dress? Because in my parents' generation, a teacher wore dresses and like nice shoes. And I'm like, Mom, I chase after kids some days. Like, you know, I have kids who are in wheelchairs. I have to push them, you know, from place to place. And, you know, I'm pretty sure my parents think I'm sloppy. (laughs) But I'm like, I have to be with my students on the floor. I have to get down to their level. You know, I can't be in a dress sometimes. Sometimes I do, but it's very rare that you see me in a dress. Whereas like my master clinician, I maybe seen her in pants once. She always wore dresses and she was always very, she still is to this day, very professional, very always put together, you know, office like attire. And I'm different than that. I am a different graduate mentor, you know, like I'm still teaching you the same things, but, you know, I dress different than she did. That's maybe one of the things I've changed. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting as you're talking and I'm thinking about my progression as a speech therapist. And I did dress very formally and it was very uncomfortable. And I do remember having issues with my heels because I was only in my first few years, I was only working in SDC classes. And so it was, I'm looking back thinking, oh my gosh, how did I not break an ankle? But I think what I'm processing as you're talking about how you are different from your master clinician and how, you know, we start to, we might start out emulating and then eventually finding our own way. I mean, I can't remember the last time I wore heels in general (laughs) and how it's, I might use some different therapy techniques than what were first modeled to me. You know, you had mentioned super duper cards. I don't really do a whole lot of drill and kill activities anymore. (laughs) I do a lot more of playing and modeling language and, you know, we might do some realistic way in a natural way that you would have played with your little cousins, with your, you know, kids that you babysat, like all that experience made you the SLP that you are. It's so astounding to me when I think back to things like that. Like I played Monopoly a lot with my brother and sister and game of life or you know, clue or whatnot. Like I'm a, you know, good sportsmanship kind of gal. Like all of those things shape me to who I am. So when I have to teach that, oh my God, (laughs) when a kid starts crying that they lost, like I get flashbacks to my brother losing at a monopoly. 
Like, I just go, oh my God, like all that stuff shaped us to be the SLPs we are today, to be the mentors we are today from our own mentoring experience, you know, from what we had. Like, I don't even think they're called master clinician anymore. Like, that's the lingo that they still use at Cal State Fullerton. I don't make them call me that or anything, but I think my master clinician, like I still call her master clinician, but I feel like it's a Jedi word almost. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. Well, I love that you call her master clinician. I mean, the word picture that I have in my brain is like this very like well put together woman who has all the answers and everything, you know, and I'm thinking I am nowhere near a master clinician. If anything, I think, you know, asking better questions than having the answers is probably that's the the vibe that I'm getting from you as you're talking about how to mentor is asking the questions more than guiding the answers. Yeah. Asking the questions to them. Like, what do you think, or what could we add this layer? What book could we add to this lesson? What would go with it? Because I'm very much also, you know, play-based literacy-based therapist. And I love having teaching with, you know, a book and like, okay, well, if you want to do activity, can you think of a book or find a book in our library? Don't go buy one or look in my library, what I have, how can we add to that lesson? So then, you know, We can come back to it, do a part, you know, two to it Wednesday when we see them again or the following week. It's okay to redo a lesson or change it a little bit, add another layer to it. Because for a long time, I thought it has to be something new every day, every week, every session. No, actually, it doesn't. And I put so much pressure on myself, you know, that every week had to be. (laughs) Yeah. And I think. I do remember having clinical instructors who would require that of me. Yeah. And I think that somebody recently said was mentoring another student that we had in our clinic. Wasn't my student, but I do appreciate that we all kind of share the students. Mm -hmm. And so somebody shared, it's okay. It's okay. They are only in this space for an hour a week. Yeah. This might be the only hour that they ever get to play pop the pig. So it's really exciting. Very exciting. (laughs) I mean, you know, I can play all day long. I can too. too. Yeah. I just, you know, I love it. And I just think that we are a special place for our students that, you know, kids want to come to our classroom. They want to be with us for, you know, whatever that 30 minutes, 25 minutes, twice a week, three times a week, whatever it is. Like we've made this space for them. And I kind of feel, I hope I do that with my grad students too. Mm. Like this is a space, like, yes, I'm not going to make you write two to three page lesson plans. Like that's not real life. (laughs) Yes. It's something you have to do when you're, you know, at the clinic and everything like that, but that's not real life. Like we do not have time to do that. We're going to talk about it. Like, what are you planning for next week? Or what do you think, you know, it's this holiday, you can look right here, but my paper stuff's old. They bring a whole other, you know, new spin on it and everything. And I use this in grad school. Okay, well, bring it. Like, totally bring it. Like, we will adapt it. That's what you do. You pick something that you can try to use all day. 
you know, we're not going to be, you know, sometimes, yeah, you're going to pull the S game or, you know, the Uno or, and we're going to work on S and R and in that natural way. But like, you have good ideas and we want to foster those ideas. And, you know, that's how you are going to go when you leave me in these 14 weeks. And I'm sad when they leave. I really am because at my site, I don't have another speech path. Well, I have one that helps with the mod severe now, but that's only been recent. Usually it's just me. So I have other, you know, speech language pathologists in my department, but I don't see them. Yeah. On a weekly basis or sometimes not even on a monthly basis. It just depends. So it's nice to have somebody else who's like-minded and in the same space with you. And so I really do love that camaraderie as well. That, you know, we're here together. I'm here to help you. And, yeah. You know, and so- I have stayed really, really good friends with just one of my students. We just seem to click. I've stayed in contact with several of my students, but one of them just really seemed to click. And recently we were talking and she said, oh my goodness, remember when this student did this one thing and I had no idea what to do. And, you know, I remember that time the student threw up all over your room (laughs) and, you know, and and nobody else gets to share those stories with you. They don't. And the kids say the darnest thing. So you're going to, like, I don't know, you're going to get a job after this? Wait, you're not really a speech teacher? I'm like, (laughs) so I try to explain to them like, no, like they're going to school and they're here to learn from me. And so she's an extension of me. So whether she's sitting here, I'm sitting here, please, you know, be respectful to her and help her learn. You're here to help her learn. I really try to help my students. They'll still like, you know, some cry, they get sad, you know, that they're leaving. And I do too. I still keep in contact with almost like half of mine, you know, one I've connected with again on Instagram, which was nice, you know, to find her again. And, you know, the ones like I always say, even after you leave, you can always call me or text me, you know, if you have a question or so, or we can have a conversation. So I've tried to be there, you know, for them afterwards as well and everything as much as I can be more let's meet for coffee let's you know do this if we can you know I still want to if I can you know be friends with them or you know yeah maybe they become my colleagues (laughs) yeah I know that was a big push when I was working in two school districts actually the last two school districts I worked in it was a big push to bring students in Mm. so that they would spend time with us. They would enjoy, they'd get to know people. And then hopefully they would want a job with us. I know. Was it a big district? Was it a big district? Two of them were. Yeah. Yeah. I get two of them were. And the last district had a big issue with turnover. So they were just really desperate to get some SLPs in. And especially, you know, if you're homegrown in a sense, like what a good fit. And I think the clinic that I'm in now, I know that they have hired one, the students. Nice. Yeah. And so I think that's why the interview too oh, is yeah. just to kind of like, Hey, this might be a situation. I know. Well, I would say in Southern California, SLPs are always in need, but according to Instagram, there are shortages all over the U S when it comes all to over. Yeah. All over. And I think that's one of the you know, great things about this field. Like if you were to move or if my family were to move, I'm not worried about finding a job. Like I'm going to find a job, like wherever we go, there is job security in that. My district, I don't know. Sometimes they know I have an intern or not. 
unless I tell them and I do tell them. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's mostly, you know, because I have that relationship with Cal State Fullerton and they are some kind of contract, but they'll call me months later. Like, was this person your intern? And you, um, yeah, but like three or four months ago. Like, yeah. It's always interesting. And I'm in a small district. Like there's only 10 of us. Oh, wow. Two slippers. So we're small and we haven't had a lot of turnover in the last, you know, 10 years, but now, you know, we have had some turnover. So there were some openings and I'm really excited that Lauren was one of my first interns to become a colleague of mine, but I did have two out of the three candidates were my interns interviewing for that job. You know, it was a sought out position and everything, but we don't have openings very often. But I mean, I'm getting up there. So <laughs> that is really cool. And how fun to be a colleague, yeah. um, a student that you had. I have, so at my clinic now, she was just doing her observation hours. Okay. And she said her first observation hours, her first setting observing was with me. And then now she's a CF in our clinic. So that's Aww. cool. And it just happened to be that way. It wasn't. Yeah like we had set up. I mean, I got hired a month before she did at our clinic Mm -hmm. and it was just the way that everything came together. We were talking about that today at lunch, actually. See, and I just love that. Like, I just feel like it's just meant to be, Yeah, um, you know, in some way. I do talk to my interns about, you know, also like just this is a part of your life and then you're going to transition to working full-time. Well, that's going to be a like, you know, not the first day. I don't talk to them more as the, you know, practicum goes on. Like there's going to be a transition when you transition to working and you're not going to school anymore. You're not going to, you know, have to go and study with your friends at the library, or you're not going to, you know, have to have that study group or miss something. And that's going to be a transition to working, you know, adulting basically, because you've been in this think tank for so long you know, and, you know, you're going to miss it one day. They look at me like I'm crazy, but like, I go, no, I miss those days when you're making no cards and just studying and going to school and, you know, studying with my friends and, you know, commuting to Cal State Fullerton. And I miss those days now, just because now it's pure adulting. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So I do talk to them just like about some life things like that, that it's going to be a transition and you just, you know, you start working, you find where you want to go, you know, whether it's in home, whether teletherapy, like I never thought that was going to blow up like it has in a clinic, like you're in, in schools, in the medical setting or hospitals, like it's where you want to go and how, and it's just your life just changes. And it's definitely like our field, like it's constantly evolving, just like your life. You're going to get married or you're going to have kids or you're going to just have a, you're going to buy a house. Those are all transitions in your life. And it's, you know, just part of growing and whether you're growing as an SLP, growing from grad school and becoming a CFY. I do get scared when they say, um, I wish I was still your intern. I'm like, no, <laughs> but it is stressful. You know? you know, I get that though. Like, I think that's okay to say like, oh, I yeah. wish I was still your intern. Cause here we are saying like, oh, I miss those days of, yeah. 
you know, of being able to observe and to bounce ideas off of our really good master clinicians. And I think that's okay. It's so funny. My husband and I were just recently talking about this. Like the mark of a good SLP is you work yourself out of a job. Your kid graduates out of services. Like the mark of a good parent is your kid moves out and is a productive member of society. Like, why am I choosing all these things where I'm like done? (laughs) You know, of like you successfully mentor a student, but hopefully they don't stay away too long, right? You can still carry on that relationship, whether it's through Instagram or text messages or a couple emails here and there, you know, I'm thinking back on how my CF supervisor was, I recently reached out to her because I wasn't quite sure what do I do? Should I jump back into the schools? I got kind of burned during the pandemic year and just wasn't quite sure that I was ready for that load again. And especially as a new mom and I wasn't quite sure. And so I reached out to her. Nice. I thought, you know, you know what it's like to be a new mom. You went through the pandemic year, maybe not at the same time, but what is some insight you can provide to me? I love that. I love that. And how old's your baby now? She just turned a year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole transition, like being a mom. Like I used to do 715 IEPs before I was a mom. 715. I can barely do 815 now because I have a later starting school. Like, oh my God. Like, you know, getting yourself and your baby and your kids out the door, breakfast, lunch, like, let's go. We got to go. That's a whole other ball game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember an SLP that for a year we did office share. It was a school that had 760 students. Oh my gosh. It was only pre school through third grade. I mean, it was just wall to wall, small children. It was ginormous. Yeah. And so she saw half the caseload and I saw half the caseload and, you know, I'm younger than she is and I'm bright eyed, bushy tailed. And she had two little ones at home. Like that school bell would go off and she'd be out the door. She'd be home. And I just remember thinking, Oh, well, maybe she doesn't care about this job as much as I do, you know, or whatever. And I'm looking at myself going, no, she's in a different place in her life, you know? And we did have a conversation one time where she was like, man, I just don't have it in me to laminate all those things and to have the perfect therapy. She's like, I know what I do is good. And she was a phenomenal therapist. It wasn't that I was thinking about that, but I mean, she kind of taught me a thing or two about what it means to be a whole person. Yeah. And so I think that's why I said earlier, you know, it's so important to remember that we are more than just SLPs because it is so easy. And that is also kind of a downside of this Instagram is that we see so many inspiring ideas and so many things that we think we have to be at all. And we don't. We are the most important tool. I mean, I want to buy all the toys. Well, I can't fit anymore, like in my speech room. And (laughs) it's like, yeah, I want all of it, <laughs> but I can't have all of it. One, because it's a lot of money. And two, like I can't fit anything else in my speech room. But I do really like what you said. Like when that bell rings, my my kids used to go to my school. Like at three o'clock, I turn back into mom. I turn back into a pumpkin, you know. And, you know, now I have a little bit of leeway because they're older or whatnot. But yeah, I'm just an Uber now. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it like looking back now, I'm like, no, she cared just as much as I did about the job. It's just, she had that really healthy boundary. Yeah. And that takes learning boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know what those 
were because I was, yes, please. Okay. Yeah. You want me to stay till IEP till 530? Sure. Let's get it done before the pandemic. That was me. And it really hurt me emotionally being that, you know, thing to my job that, you know, I'm going to stay here till 530 to get this done. Did I get a raise for it? Did I get like some brownie points or like more stickers or something? No, I did not. And learning healthy boundaries. And I think that's something that, you know, the silver lining of this pandemic has really helped me that, you know, I need to be home by like, I should not be at school. And I'm sorry if we're going to have a part two. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I cannot live like that anymore. Yeah. Being yeah. that people pleasing. Yes, I'll do that job till then. No, no. Why do we have to be there if we started at three till 530? That does not make sense. So it's important. And I you know, it's another thing we talk as the semester continues with my intern. Are those healthy? Ba- it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no to me. Like, I can't do that. Or, you know, because when we continue to be on this path of yes, 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 it's not healthy. People take advantage of that. And that's not good for us and everything. So I do feel, you know, those are things too, that, you know, we have to have conversations like they want to have a Friday noon afternoon IEP at whatever the my school doesn't get out till three. That means it'll start till 315. Like what? Like, come on, like there was no other time during the week, 8.15 or something that you could have done this meeting. Like, I'm going to give you that Friday, but that's it. Like, that's all you're going to get. Like, we need to not make this a practice because, you know, at 4.30, 4 o'clock, I'm a mom. I have to go home. I got to take my kids. I have responsibilities to after school to my kids and everything. I do, you know, get help though. My husband and my parents, my mother-in-law, like everyone helps when they can and everything. So it does take a village. (laughs) That whole saying, that is so true. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I don't imagine, like, I can't imagine how it was during the pandemic with hard shutdowns and, you know, just not having a village around is quite overwhelming for sure. And I love, love, love that you start having those conversations of boundaries and what the future looks like for your students and not just focused on the here and now. I think that that's really, really powerful for them. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Monica, I'm pretty sure I could talk to you for another hour or so. (laughs) So we'll just have to brainstorm another topic. You know, maybe you can come on and talk to us about literacy-based therapy. I think that would be, if you were open to that. But like I said, I could just keep talking and talking. Occupational hazard that happens. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's true. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about mentoring grad students and really just inspiring grad students and building that self-esteem in them. I just appreciate who you are in the world and what you do for our community, whether it's colleagues or the next generation of SLPs that are coming. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a joy. And like, I'm like, you. I can talk all night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will let you go spend time with your lovely family. And just thank you so much for taking this time to inspire our listeners and to just better inspire our whole community. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Again, I had so much fun. Yeah, call me back. (laughs) So how can, real quick before we go, how can people find you? 
You can find me on Instagram at, you know, Monica D S L P. You can message me on there or you can email me at Monica Denoso SLP at Gmail. Those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me and everything. I'm, I love our little Instagram SLP world and everything. So yeah, if you want to connect, you have questions about mentoring, anything that I'm happy to answer your questions the best I can and everything. But thank you again for having me on. I had so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see you all soon. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.